This week's episode of All the Books is sponsored by us at Book Riot. We're giving away a $500 gift card. That's right, $500 to the bookstore of your choice. The gift card giveaway is open internationally. No matter where you live, you are welcome to enter and cross your fingers. It's open through November 26th, but you don't want to sleep on this one. Go to bookriot.com slash bookstore giveaway to enter. That's bookriot.com slash bookstore giveaway, all one word. Cross your fingers and hope to win $500 to the gift card. $500. to the bookstore of your choice. That's bookriot.com slash bookstore giveaway. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 132, and today we are talking about books being released on November 7th, 2017, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow well redhead Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello, hello. Hi. It's a good sign when I have to restart the intro, <laughs> like on the, the first try. Say, so I come to you today filled with junk food and lots of sleep from my celebration of fallback weekend. So That's right. That's exciting. Was- It was glorious, and I thought of you because I started watching a TV show that you love. Um, One that we can't say on here because... I think we can say it. I mean, they can put it on cable, right? Yeah. Yeah. um, And it's spelled S-C-H-I-T-T, so it's Schitt's Creek um, that you had said was your favorite comedy before you discovered The Good Place. So. Yes. I had to get in on that. And it is really funny. I watched several episodes of it yesterday. Yeah. Uh, Catherine O'Hara is a goddess. Oh, my gosh. So funny. She is a goddess. She's just never not hilarious. And, you know, I also started watching The Great British Baking Show, which I'm not sure if I like it or not, but I can't stop watching it. (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen any of these shows, these food shows. I have no idea. I like a competitive food show, um, but I'm used to like what the Food Network does where it'll be like, by, a, by surprise, here are your ingredients and you have to make up something creative that uses these ingredients or fits in these time constraints and like... Or something the, explodes. Yeah. And the bakers <laughs> on the Great British Baking Show, like they all seem to have, like they go home in between the weeks of filming and they get to like practice some of their recipes. And so they know like next week is pies and you should practice like your best pie to show off. And then there will be some challenge where they all have to bake the same pie um, with like minimal instructions. And then there's usually a big, they call it the showstopper, like a big challenge at the end that's like make something up doing these things. But there's like, it's very British. There's like a lot less whiz bang tension on the screen but yeah I still watched like five hours of it yesterday so I guess I must (laughs) like it on some level or at the very least it's soothing um not a whole lot of reading got done in my house this weekend but I do have some great books to talk about today before we get started can I just say hello to someone yes you definitely should may I please say hello to Sarah in Bangor I uh, encountered her last week at print bookstore she actually recognized my voice because i when i'm out of the house i'm never not talking um so i was in the bookstore speaking and and she introduced herself and she was very nice and she was with a gentleman whose name i i can't remember i'm very sorry but he had a fabulous beard um and they were going to see nick offerman and they were in town and they said hello and very nice well hello sarah in bangor so that was cool that is cool. Liberty texted me about what a pleasure it was meeting you. So, yes. 
I love it when we bump into ATBs out in the world. Yes, that was actually, I think, the third time someone recognized my voice. And I was telling my friends that, and they're like, they don't actually recognize the sound of your voice. They recognize how fast you talk. (laughs) I was like, oh, yeah, okay. (laughs) It's probably the whole package. (laughs) So... Speaking of the whole package, oh hey, my first pick is Bonfire by Kristen Ritter. Kristen Ritter, the actress, producer, and writer, amazing. She's so talented, the whole package. It's a mystery. It's a thriller. And it's her debut. It's fantastic. It's so good. I read this many months ago. I've been so excited for the world to get their hands on this. It's about a young woman named Abby Williams. She's in her late 20s. She is an environmental lawyer in Chicago. She's very successful at her job, but not exactly living a very satisfactory life. Not what she had hoped for. Um, She's actually from a very small town in Indiana called Barron's, and she fled You know, as soon as she possibly could. As soon as she graduated, she was out of there. She did not enjoy her upbringing. She didn't have a good time. It's a sort of small town mentality. Um, But she gets this job offer that she can't pass up. She's partly because it's compelling to her because she has to go back to her hometown to investigate a company uh, for one of her jobs. Uh, And so she decides, like, She's gonna, she's gonna do it. Like, she hasn't been to Barron's in 10 years. She's gonna return. Everything's gonna be fine. Um, we learn a little bit about her. Like, when she was in high school, she had a friend named Casey, but then there was kind of, like, a falling out. They sort of grew apart. Casey became a horrible, horrible mean girl. She was sort of, like, the head of this Heathers-like clique that used to make things just awful for Abby. Um, and in their senior year, Casey and a few of her friends got very sick. And no one could understand what was going on. And it might have been tied to this big company that, you know, that uh, Abby is now returning to investigate, you know, 10 years later, like one of the town's largest employers. Um, but Casey, right after school, she took off. She she got lost. You know, nobody knew where she went. And they thought it was sort of like the fallout of, you know, her embarrassing illness over the last year of school. Um, so Abby goes back. She runs into some old classmates who she's not really you know, that keen on seeing, you know, some, some people who were like, oh, it's so great to see you, who were, like, really awful to her, you know, 10 years ago, and you have to kind of be like, oh, yeah, great, thanks. Um, and so she starts looking into this big corporation again and discovers that there might be a connection between Casey's disappearance and this company. Like, maybe she didn't just take off. It's sort of like the fever meets sharp objects. Ooh. You know, if you like Megan Abbott or Robin Wasserman or Jillian Flynn... It's it's perfect. It's just it's very it's a very solid, well-paced mystery. There are no surprises, like like there's no twists, there's no turns. It's exactly like what you're expecting and it ends with like this sort of very tense thrillery ending. And I thought it was great. I thought it was really great. And and then in the um acknowledgments at the end, Kristen Ritter thanked uh, Lauren Oliver for her assistance um helping, you know, for her guidance. And I found that it had a bit of like a little, if you've ever read Lauren Oliver, it had a little bit of her thumbprint on it for sure. Um, it was just fantastic. So again, it's Bonfire by Kristen Ritter. Ooh, you're going to get me with that Megan Abbott, Gillian Flynn combo. <gasps> did you see there's a new Megan Abbott coming in July? Yeah. In 2018. It feels so appropriate to have her books in summer too. There's just yeah. something so like perfect about that. 
Well, I have no segue. I don't know how to go elegantly from <laughs> Bonfire to, to my first pick this week. It's Spineless, The Science of Jellyfish and the Art of Growing a Backbone by Julie Burwald. Um, this is a really lovely, it's mostly nonfiction about jellyfish, but also mixed in memoir because Julie Burwald was an ocean scientist. She sort of accidentally fell in love with marine biology in college when she was studying abroad and feeling really lonely and went on uh, like a day-long retreat marine biology experience um, that was totally unrelated to what she was studying at the time and found out that she really loved it. Um, so she had been a marine scientist, but put her career on the shelf when she had children and she and her husband lived in Austin, Texas, which is landlocked um, and a little bit more difficult to study the ocean when you live there. But about the time that her kids are out of the age where they really needed her, and her brain had a little bit of space to do something other than think about raising her brand new baby children, she started getting interested in jellyfish. And she decided that she wanted to really go deep. So this is kind of a uh, not quite Mary Roach approach. Like it's it's straightforward. It's a little more similar to like um, The Soul of an Octopus by Cy Montgomery, except there's actual science in this book, which there's not much science in The Soul of an Octopus. Um, if you've been thinking about reading that, but you like science, FYI, I would recommend Other Minds instead. Um, but that's about, those are about squid and octopus. Um, so back to jellyfish, she just gets totally fascinated. Like the jellyfish are everywhere. There are a jillion different kinds of them. Some of them are super deadly. They're also like remarkably beautiful and kind of mesmerizing. And science has just totally ignored them, maybe because they seem so simple. They don't have a brain. Um, they see and feel and react to their environments, though, in pretty complex ways. And it turns out that jellyfish might be really crucial to the health health of the ocean and to the many, many ecosystems that are, you know, present throughout various parts of the ocean around the planet. So she starts researching and she starts um, interviewing people and she travels all over the world to try to see jellyfish in the wild, all kinds of jellyfish. She tries eating jellyfish because um, they are known or at least believed to contribute to um, better memories or having a better memory, not like they'll make your memories happier or something. Um, and sort of just gets absorbed into this obsession and interest with jellyfish. And the book is very structured around the life cycles of a jellyfish and the way that she unfolds the information. But interwoven through it all is what's happening to her. And this is really this, uh, also a story of her sort of finding herself or coming back to herself really um, through taking on this project, coming back to uh, her sense of herself as someone with intellectual pursuits um, who can take on a big project like researching and writing a book. And it gets her out of the feeling that she has had had for a while that she was sort of stuck in this, like just a mom. Um, not that being a mother is a just kind of thing, but she was wanting more than that. And this gets her out of it as well. And so that's the part of the title about the art of growing a backbone, uh, sort of how she comes into herself. I really liked this a lot. There's fascinating tidbits. I've always liked jellyfish and never really known that much about them other than, you know, a few Discovery Channel specials and staring at them mesmerized whenever I see them in aquariums. So it was really cool to spend a book's worth of time learning about jellyfish, repeating a lot of interesting facts to Bob, um, and thinking also about 
how this journey of research reflected the trajectory and changed it really of Julie Burwald's own life. Um, also, the cover is really beautiful. So it's called Spineless, The Science of Jellyfish and the Art of Growing a Backbone by Julie Burwald. I like jellyfish. But yeah. they're scarier than like squid because they bite sting mm, and stuff. Yes, so I've always yeah. been afraid of I'm just afraid of things in the water in general. Like that's my, you know, creepy horror movie things in the water. Um, but there's, but this book is so fascinating and they're so interesting. It is. It's so interesting. So, you know, I was going to try to make a joke like jellyfish are kind of the renegades of the ocean, but I can't see a way to make it <laughs> smoothly. So I'll just tell you about our first sponsor this week. How about that? Okay. <laughs> you can't say no this time. <laughs> um, our first sponsor this week is Renegades by Marissa Meyer. It's about secret identities, extraordinary powers. She wants vengeance and he wants justice. The Renegades are a syndicate of prodigies. They are humans who have extraordinary abilities, who emerged from the ruins of a crumbled society and established peace and order where chaos had reigned. As champions of justice, they remain a symbol of hope and courage to everyone, except the villains that they once overthrew. Nova has a reason to hate the renegades, and she's on a mission for vengeance. As she gets closer to her target, she meets Adrian, a renegade boy who believes in justice and in Nova. But Nova's allegiance is to the villains who have the power to end them both. Um, Marissa Meyer is a number one New York Times bestselling author of The Lunar Chronicles. She takes on the classic battle between good and evil and makes it totally fresh and unpredictable. Um, she's channeled her love for superheroes in a high-stakes world into the story of adventure and passion and danger and betrayal. And um, this just sounds like a lot of fun. It is part one of what is sure to be an epic duology. Part two is to come in the fall of 2018. So if you read this and love it, you don't have to wait too long to get to the second one. Again, it's Renegades by Marissa Meyer. We'll have a link to it in the show notes and you can find it wherever books are sold. Fantastic. All right, roll us on. What is our next destination? <gasps> I'm so excited for everyone to read this one, too. I love Ivy Pakoda, and I feel like it was a long time between books, which is fine, which is fine. But I just, I loved her last book, her first book, uh, Visitation Street, mm. which was the Dennis Lehane pick. Um, and so this new one is called Wonder Valley. And like I said, it's by Ivy Pakoda, and it's, she does the same thing that she did in Visitation Street, where it's sort of like this blurry line between literary mystery, thriller, and just fiction. Because her books are not really about the mystery, they're about people. Like, her mm. characters are fully fleshed out and interesting, and so, like, the mystery is sort of, like, secondary in these books. Um, this one opens with a traffic jam in Los Angeles... Uh, people are sitting in their cars, like you do in a traffic jam, and they notice there is a naked man running down the side of the road. Um, why is that man running down the road, and what's going to happen to him? That's where how the story unfolds, and it goes back and forth between the streets of L.A. and a desert commune in the Mojave Desert. Um, it goes back and forth between the present and the past, and it's based around six characters. There is a young man who is just out of uh, juvie, who is looking for his mother. There are two brothers, Owen and James. They live on their father's commune in the desert. Their father is sort of cruel to one of the twins compared to the other one, and uh, one of them is going to disappear, 
Um, there is Britt, a woman with a secret who shows up at the commune. There's Tony, who's feeling inspired by the runner. He's just seen, you know, jogging naked past him. Um, and there's Blake, who is a drifter hanging out in the desert, a sort of hiding out, really, I should say, um, with his partner, uh, trying to keep things going. One of them has been injured. And it's sort of how they interact with each other, like what actions these characters will will uh, perform in the past that will influence how they interact together in the future. Because um, I, I can't really say too much about it without giving away everything, so I'll just say that. It's so, so fantastic. Um, she's such a great writer, and I, you know, like I said, I loved Visitation Street, and I loved this one. So I will end by saying it is Wonder Valley by Ivy Pakoda. Awesome. Uh, if I were going to tell a kind of dirty joke, I would segue with something, something Wonder Valley into oh. <laughs> my next title. Into the book everyone is buzzing about? <laughs> yes. With one of the best covers of the year. It's Buzz, The Stimulating History of the Sex Toy by Hallie Lieberman. If you are presently in the car trying not to have to explain that joke to your kids, I'm sorry, but I'm pretty proud of that one. Um, this is a little bit more of a Mary Roach feel. It's a micro history. If you read Bonk, um, which is Mary Roach's investigation into the world of sex research. This is something probably that you'll be interested in. It's more detailed um, about specifically sex toys, and there's a lot of history um, and a lot of sort of social commentary built in. It's a little more serious than Mary Roach, um, but just equally as compelling. And it's basically the journey of vibrators, which started off as very socially taboo um, and how they have become pretty mainstream and acceptable. Like there's one advertised in the sharper image catalog that's sitting on the bar in my kitchen right now. Granted, it's called a personal massager, but you get the idea. Um, and there's a really fascinating history of these devices. They were originally developed by doctors trying to treat hysteria in women, which, um, that worked, maybe not the way that they intended it to. Uh, and she moves through um, mostly present history from the 1950s up until today when sex toys became a symbol of female emancipation, when they were also presented um, in the fight against AIDS, um, also as ways to enhance uh, intimate relationships between married people and other partners. And it's just full of fascinating people, um, entrepreneurs, uh, people who run boutiques, and people who have developed uh, toys, and Betty Dodson, who held workshops in the 1960s to help women discover their bodies and discover the tools that can make their bodies feel good. Um, and there are all kinds of interesting tidbits woven in between uh, that, that sort of connect the development and evolution and mainstreaming of sex toys to changing American attitudes about sexuality, about women's rights, women's bodies in particular, also LGBTQ issues, and a whole lot more. Um, so it, it takes this relatively common item uh, the book does, and puts it in context of not just how it was made, but what was going on in the world at the various times that it was having different moments. Um, I love a book that does this. This is also in my wheelhouse for being interested in um, sexuality and you know books about research of that. So 
this was this just rang all of my bells. It's Buzz, The Stimulating History of the Sex Toy by Hallie Lieberman. I didn't actually read that one because I knew you were going to. Like, <laughs> yeah, right it was like as soon as it showed up in the catalogs, it was like, well, yeah, that's definitely going to be one of my picks. <laughs> um, so I'm not, there's no intentional segue. Um, my next pick is Madonna in a Fur Coat by... <laughs> <laughs> Um, did I lose you? <laughs> it's that silent giggling, like when you're in church and you're trying not to get caught. <laughs> um, it's by, <laughs> let me start, let me try saying it again. It's Madonna in a Fur Coat by Sabahattin Ali. It is a reprinting of one of the most popular Turkish novels of all time. It was written in 1941, um, but it's now being printed in English for the first time. Um, one of our contributors was raving about it last year. Um, and I was like, oh, I can't wait to read this. So I'm so excited it's here. Um, it starts out, there's a, a young man. He's been employed by an old classmate. Like, times are tough, and he's out of work, and he runs into an old classmate who says, you know, I have a clerking job that I can give you that'll pay you a lot of money, and you don't have to do much work. And he brings him to, to the job, and he the young man ends up sharing an office with an older gentleman named uh, Rafe. And he is a translator. He translates their documents into German. Um, he Rafe is often sick. He misses a lot of work. He's bullied by his boss, who is the young man's old classmate. And people don't seem to like him. Um, they they use him as like a, a whipping post. And eventually, he gets so sick though. Rafe does that he can't come into work any longer. So the narrator offers to bring him his work at home. Um, and they sort of strike up this this sort of friendship. But Rafe's illness progresses. He continues to get sick. And he asks the narrator to bring him some of his personal items. And that's when, like, the majority of the story takes place. Because one of the items that the narrator finds is a black notebook and can't help but open it. And it turns out to be a diary. And Rafe talks about his time between the two world wars. Uh, when he went to Germany for two years, his father financed it and he wanted to be an artist and he thought you know getting out out of Turkey into the world would would do wonders for him and so he moves to to Berlin for two years and he falls in love with this painting that he sees at a gallery called Madonna in a fur coat and eventually meets the woman who painted it and falls in love with her and it's this really gorgeous very short I think it's like 200 pages like very gorgeous short um, novel of lost love and missed opportunity it was really fantastic. It, it lived up to everything that I had heard about it. Um, you know, sadly, uh, the author, Ali, he was murdered in 1948 either by the man that he had hired to smuggle him over the border to get out from under the government or by the government after being sold out by the man who smuggled him over the border. Um, they're not really sure. So he did not, unfortunately, write anything else after this. Um, so it's kind of sad, to like, reading this. It's just... It's just a great experience, though. Again, it's called Madonna in a Fur Coat, and it's by Sabatahin Ali. Ooh, that sounds great. It was. There is no segue nope. whatsoever <laughs> for our next sponsor. So I'm going to get right to it. It is Pinball Wizards by Adam Rubin. It's out from Chicago Review Press. 
Full title being Pinball Wizards, Jackpot Strains, and the Cult of the Silver Ball. It tells the dynamic story about America's quintessential arcade game. By visiting pinball museums, gaming conventions, pinball machine designers, and even pinball factories, Adam attempts to discover what makes the world's best players so good. The book also explores the history of the game, as well as its invention, defeat, and recent resurgence in American culture today. It says that uh, the author has actually played pinball competitively, competing for more than a decade and rising as high as the 80th ranked player in the world. But then he had kids. Now he's in (laughs) 9,938th place, and he's trying to re-enter the boisterous and wacky world of competitive pinball. Um, It says here that he's primarily a humor writer and stand-up comedian, and he's written for National Lampoon and published 80 humor pieces since 2010. So it sounds really fun. It sounds like that, um, what is that Donkey Kong documentary? The King of Kong. I was just yes. going to talk about that. Chumpetized. Yes. Is that what he says? I will chumpetize you. Something like that. <laughs> so good. So again, it is called Pinball Wizards, Jackpots, Drains, and the Cult of the Silver Ball by Adam Rubin. Out from Chicago Review Press. We thank them for sponsoring and we will have a link to it in the show notes. That sounds like I would like it. I love books about sort of subculture or things like that. Yeah. Yes, I definitely marked it down. All right. Well, we are now getting to the end of the year, which I usually spend reading backlist and catching up on things that I missed in the earlier parts of the year. And so my next pick this week is a book that you talked about on the show. And I believe they also sponsored an episode at one point, but that I read this weekend in one sitting and I really, really loved it. So I had to ditch what I was going to talk about in this segment and put this in (laughs) instead. It's Goodbye Vitamin by Rachel Cohn. It's so, this is so good. I knew it would be good, but I said, I like intentionally tuned out descriptions of what happened in it um, because I didn't want I just didn't want to really know like when you were talking about it I was listening for the buzzwords but I was trying not to hear like what happens in the book um, Uh because I just wanted to be able to sink into it and it was exactly what I needed for a quiet Saturday morning and it, it just caught me from the first page. Um, It's about a woman named Ruth. She is about 30 years old and she has just been disengaged, unengaged, dumped by her fiance. She thinks they're moving into an apartment together. Like they go look at a place, they both like it. They pack up their apartment together, and then it turns out that she is moving into it by herself because her fiance is leaving her for someone else. Um, So her life is already kind of falling apart. She leaves town, goes to visit her parents, and she has known that her dad has been suffering from some memory loss dealing with Alzheimer's. Actually, there's a moment in this book where she gets jellyfish for him to eat, or she tries to find jellyfish for him to eat, and it overlapped with spineless in an unexpected way. And like, I love that when that happens in, in reading. Anyway, her dad has dementia, and her parents ask her to stay for, or her mom does, ask her to stay for a year to help help with his care and help with the transition. He's aware of what's happening to him sometimes, but sometimes he doesn't have any sense of what he's doing or any memory of having done it. He's, you know, behaving erratically occasionally, and it's really stressful for her mother. Her brother is not really in the picture um, because her father had been an an alcoholic, had cheated on their mother, and her brother can't forgive her dad. So she's sort of in this with her parents by herself, already grieving the loss of her relationship and trying to make some sense and make some meaning, really. And that's what where the book really lives out of what to do with this time at home. Um, there's this really beautifully observed um, section where she realizes 
in such a short period of time, her happiness has become totally calibrated to what kind of day her father is doing. And I think Rachel Cohn just dials right into what what happens in families in crisis or really in any moment of crisis when we have to reset our expectations and reset our focus from all the things that go on in our normal lives to just handling one really serious thing. There's a lot of moments, though, of humor and of levity, and it's really... I think very just empathetically observed about how humans handle these kinds of things and and how there are funny moments inside really difficult sad times of life but through the whole thing Ruth is figuring out who she is and sort of how she is going to go forward from her old life and forward into the rest of her life while her father is disappearing in front of her. It's, um, it's, it's like really sad, but really lovely. And I loved it a whole lot. So it's called Goodbye Vitamin by Rachel Kong. I feel like that book came out so long ago, like nobody talks about it anymore. I know it was the middle of summer too, which is yeah. weird for like, Literary fiction that's as good as this is doesn't usually get published in the middle of summer. Um, it, it has that feeling to me of something that could have come out like in January. But I'm yeah. happy to talk about it again. If you missed it the first time around and you need some catch up, Goodbye Vitamin is a really good pick. Also, I think it would be great for a book club. Like there's a yeah. ton there. There's just a ton to think about and take apart. And it's not very long. No, it's not. I read it in one sitting, like within a few hours. It's really great. So my last so. pick. I don't have a segue. Okay. My last pick is called They Can't Kill Us Until They Kill Us, Essays by Hanif Willis Abdurraqib. And I will admit, I was not familiar with this gentleman. I, I almost couldn't remember his name. With Hanif Willis Abdurraqib. He's a poet. He seems to have quite the following on Twitter. Um, and I've since started following him. He's fantastic. But I have the $2 radio logo tattooed mm-hmm. on me, as we might have discussed before. So mm-hmm. I get all of their books for life, which is amazing. Um, and so this was sent to me, and I was like, what is this? Um, and I've since watched several videos of him performing his poetry. And he's so great. He's so interesting. And these essays, he sort of, like, they they kind of classify it in the music category, but it's not really because it's so much smarter than just essays about music sort of ties music and pop culture into more serious issues that he wants to discuss. Um, He talks about going to a Springsteen concert after visiting the grave of Michael Brown. He talks about witnessing PDA at a Carly Rae Jepsen concert, and it segues into, you know, thoughts about heartbreak, and, and he talks about, you know, fear and race and the past and immortality and death and the future and a million other things. He's so observant and intelligent. Um, if you like Ta-Nehisi Coates or Tom Bissell, uh, John Jeremiah Sullivan or Roxanne Gay, that's who I would compare him to. He is, this, this sentence makes no sense, but he is a voice to watch, basically, mm. is, is what I think. <laughs> um, I know he writes for a lot of publications, and he's just fantastic. It also has my favorite cover of 2017. Ooh. Yeah. It, it's a picture of a wolf wearing gold chains and a tracksuit. And it's just, it's stunning. I was like, that's what caught my eye when I got the book. I was like, I need to read this because look at this cover. Um, It's just so fantastic. So again, it is called They Can't Kill Us Until They Kill Us, Essays by Hanif Willis Abdurraqib. All right. 
My last pick this week is one I haven't seen because I don't think they sent out early copies of it or I would have begged and pleaded for one, but I'll be buying it for my coffee table. It's Obama, an intimate portrait by Pete Souza, who was the White House photographer throughout Barack Obama's presidency. Um, I think this is a book I would have been interested in anyway, but in the last year since the election, Pete Souza's Instagram account has just become straight fire, uh, where he will post photos from Obama's time in office that speak in some direct way to what's happening in the news with our current president um, on that particular day. Or often, you know, he might have multiple reasons in a single day to post various photos. He usually lets them speak for themselves, but this book shows um, some of the best known pictures as well as behind the scenes images and tells the stories of Uh, what went into making those photos or what was happening in the pictures, what had been going on that day, which is not a piece of the information that you get just from following Pete Souza on Instagram. So it's kind of the first time you can get that info. And President Obama wrote the foreword himself. Um, These images are really iconic. There's 300 in the book. And I remember seeing Sousa narrowing them down on Instagram and talking about how many there are that, you know, obviously can't make it in the book. Eight years of presidency is a whole lot of pictures for an official White House photographer. He mentioned at one point how many pictures he had taken in those eight years. And it's really an astounding, like thousands and thousands and thousands number. Um, So I will be looking forward to seeing this, to reading those stories behind the photos. Um, If you follow Sousa on Instagram and you somehow are unaware that he has this book coming out, then surprise to you. And if this, you know, is news to you, but it sounds relevant, then it's called Obama, An Intimate Portrait. It's by Pete Souza. Well, all right. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I thought maybe there was something else coming. No, that's all I got. (laughs) All right. Well, those are our new books this week. So what are you going to read next? Okay, this I have because I'm so excited. Um, Sarah Schmidt, who wrote the Lizzie Borden novel, See what I have done that I just mm-hmm. absolutely love. I saw her reading this on Instagram several months ago. It's called The Trauma Cleaner, One Woman's Extraordinary Life in Death, Decay, and Disaster by Sarah Krasnostein. Or Krasnostein, I'm sorry, I don't know which it is. And I was like, oh, oh, I have books like that. You know, I have all these, like, crime scene cleanup books. And she's like, um, no, it's not exactly like that. And also, she didn't stop being my friend because, you know, she wrote a book about Lizzie Borden, so she's (laughs) totally fine with me being like, I have crimes. This one's a little bit different. Let me just read you the back because I think this is going to turn out to be like uh, H's for Hawks kind of memoir that everyone is going to want to be reading. It's coming out in April here from St. Martin's. It's an Australian author and an Australian subject, um, but like it'll be out here in April. It says, before she was a trauma cleaner, Sandra Pankhurst was many things. Husband and father, drag queen, sex reassignment patient, sex worker, businesswoman, trophy wife. But as a little boy raised in violence and excluded from the family home, she just wanted to belong. Now she believes her clients deserve no less. Sandra Cranostein has watched the magnificent Sandra Pankhurst bring order and care to the living and the dead, and the book she has written is remarkable. It is not just the compelling story of a fascinating life. It is an affirmation that, as isolated as we may feel, we are all in this together. Cool. Right? I'm, like, literally going to start reading it as soon as we finish here. (laughs) Perfect. My next read is also like solidly what I would pick next. It's called Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics by Dan (laughs) Harris. (laughs) It comes out in January. I'm probably going to talk about it on one of the episodes in December, Um, or it comes out December 26th. So it's one of those 
you know, beginning of the year self-help, self-improvement books. Um, but Dan Harris is an NBC news anchor. He wrote a book called 10% Happier that came out a few years ago. That's about how he discovered meditation after um, having a panic attack, I think on air. I haven't read that book, but I've heard a lot about it. Um, and our friend Josh Christie, who co-owns the print bookstore in Portland, where you ran into our listener this week, um, sent me a picture of it that he was reading it this week. And he was like, obviously, this is a book that you need to know about. I'm already sold on meditation, but I'm really interested in, you know, how someone is making the case for it to people who are skeptical or helping people who are interested in it get over some of the concerns or hangups that they feel like there's a whole section about like, but what if people think I'm self-indulgent? Um, so I'm looking forward to reading that. It also looks from flipping through it like it has some guided, some simple guided meditations. And I thought that might be useful, especially as I'm, I'm starting to teach yoga classes in the next couple of months. So I'm looking forward to that. I might end up going back and reading 10% Happier as well. Um, there are a lot of books about meditation, but not a lot of, not a whole lot of good ones. Um, so I'm really interested in this and I hope it's good. So that's what I'm going to read next. Awesome. All right. Well, we're in and out of here pretty quickly today. This you week. Think we so? were we were efficient. Oh, I felt like I, I don't know. I thought I was like, oh, this is going long again. I don't know. So <laughs> here's a, here's the thing that's happening. Oh, okay. I will be back next week with Jen Northington. Oh, right. I forgot that this was it's when it's the changing. start of my life with my pod wives. <laughs> I suppose that I am willing to share you. It was your idea. I know. <laughs> Are we going to end up on like a Reddit relationships thread now? Yeah. Like you're the one that suggested we see other people. <laughs> I am really excited. We had our first planning call for the next season of Annotated. And actually, this is all I'm going to tell you, but I think you'll be very excited. The episode that I am going to be researching and writing first is about Agatha Christie. <gasps> I know so, everything. Ask me. Ask me. I will. Me. I pr I'm sure I will. Um, so while I'm not here, that is the some of the work that I'm going to be doing. So I'm excited that Jen and Amanda are going to help fill in um, and take over for you know some of those episodes, especially while we're working on annotated. But I'll miss you. I'll miss you too. I'll be back on the 21st. We won't talk about you while you're gone. Well, I mean, I'm going to listen to the show. And you'll hear it. So. <laughs> Uh, well, you're in good hands. I know you and Jen will have a lot of fun and I'm excited to hear that. So thanks for, you know, being open to the next evolution of our relationship, Liberty. Anything for you, Kitten Pants. <laughs> All right. I think we better stop there before we get ourselves into trouble. Mm -hmm. You can enter Book Riot's $500 giveaway at bookriot.com slash bookstore giveaway, all one word, and that'll be 500 bucks to the bookstore of your choice. Thank you to Renegade by Marissa Meyer. We'll have a link to that in the show notes, and you can purchase it wherever books are sold. And Pinball Wizards by Adam Rubin. Same goes for that. If you'd like to say something to us, you can email us at all the books at bookriot.com. Every week I get an email forwarded to me from some other Book Riot email address. All the books at bookriot.com is the fastest way to get straight to us. And if you want to talk to us on Twitter, you can do that. I am Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty. If you've got a minute going into the holidays, you want to give us a little treat, please rate or review the show on Apple Podcasts. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. 
And in the meantime, in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.